Welcome to episode 62 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 62 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing fabulously. How about you? I'm good. How's how's life post-job? It's pretty awesome. Well, you know, I have so much work that I'm doing. (laughs) I only retired from teaching, so I'm actually working – so hard. I'm, I thought I'd be like at least able to relax for a little bit, but no, I'm working on a a journal type thing for delay. Don't deny that, that I'm on the final stages of, so that should be out really, really soon. Um, and I mean, it's like, you know, when you're in the writing process and you're just like doing it all the time (laughs) and the editing and the proofreading and all of that. So I'm also excited. I've decided I'm going to write children's books. That's my latest thing I'm excited about doing. Um, you know, I have, a master's degree in science education. My doctorate's in gifted education, but my master's is science education. So I would like to write nonfiction books for children. That is wonderful. It really <laughs> is. I have no desire to write fiction. That's just, that's not me. But, you know, I'm a teacher and I can teach through nonfiction books for kids. So my next big project, once I get this journal launched, which should be pretty soon. My next big project is going to be looking for a children's book agent. So that's next. Children's book agent who likes nonfiction science books. That's really exciting. It is exciting. And I think that can be part of, you know, one of the hardest things is is finding that right agent. So yeah. Put it out to the universe. There we go. I I feel like everything's going to work out. But um, I have so many, so many children's book ideas because I know what kids like. You know, I've been around kids for 28 years. I know what they like to read. I know what books they check out from the school library. I know what books have pages falling out of them because <laughs> all the kids check them out all the time. So I think I could I could write some books that kids would enjoy. Uh, that, because you told me about this in the past, it right. just occurred to me that you're a teacher. I didn't even right. think about that when you mentioned it before. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I know kids. I know elementary kids. You know, I've I've worked with them, like I said, for 28 years. So I know what makes them tick. I know what they think is funny. I know what they're interested in. And so with my teaching background and the, the science education, I'm kind of excited about that. So I have time to go in all these new areas. So many possibilities, you know, that I like looked up, you know, it's the the week just passed so fast. You know, a week ago I was in San Diego with my sister. Um, by the way, I see why y'all love California. It was absolutely beautiful out there. The ocean, oh my gosh, the Pacific is is incredible. But I mean, I can't believe a week has passed since I've been home. I'm just working so hard. I'm like, how's time flying? <laughs> so much. So that it's a good problem to have. You know, I am not just sitting around sitting in the sun, reading books, watching TV, sipping my San Pellegrino. I'm working hard. I don't feel retired. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I was looking up um, like the most stressful life situations the other day, Uh just because I was curious to see (laughs) what all was on there. And retirement was on there. I really? uh, Yeah. I'm I'm not stressed about that. I think it's because people retire and then they you know, they, it's like a loss of identity in a way, oh, you know, like a mm. loss of stuff to do. Yeah. I am not having that problem. <laughs> I'm having the opposite. Too much to do. Like, it is weird though, because I've had the identity as elementary teacher for all, all these years. And now my identity is shifting. You know, I'm writer, you know, that sort of thing. 
podcast or whatever. So that's, that's been slowly happening, though. It didn't happen overnight, and it's been happening over the past year. Um, so I feel like my identity is is kind of already making that shift. So I'm glad to be busy. I can see um, if I didn't have a lot that I was excited about, how that could be true. Like, now what do I do? Yeah, I think and you're I- like the – the opposite of that right. situation. <laughs> it's true. It was very stressful for me to be working with all the things I had on my plate. Um, you know, people are always asking me daily, you know, when am I going to have an audiobook version of Delay Don't Deny? People like to listen um, to books on audio. And that's that's something I've been putting off. And, you know, I'll do that when I'm retired. Well, now I'm retired. And I'm like, okay, now I have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many things to do. Uh. I know. I've been – I have so many projects I want to do, and I keep saying, like, once I finish moving, and I'm almost there. Yay. I got – I finally cleared out the storage unit, so now it's just dealing with all of that stuff, yeah. trying to sell this treadmill that's sitting in my apartment, cramping my style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so big. I know how that goes. I'm almost at the point where I'm, like, just – Someone come and get it with things like that. I'm like, who wants this? It's free. Get it out of here. I know. I understand now. So, (laughs) yeah. uh, I'm going to list it everywhere and hope that somebody. Well, good luck. I hope you can sell it. It's in the way. I'm trying to think where Mm -hmm. else I could put it. Yeah. Well, I do have a new gadget that I really like. Ooh. Ooh. What do you have? I bought. A new mouse for the computer, uh-huh. and it's one of those vertical mouse, vertical mice. Oh, I think my husband has one of those at his office, and I, like, couldn't use it. I tried to do something. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this mouse? <laughs> it looks really weird, but yeah. I really like it. It, like, uh, it, it alleviates the stress on your wrist. Yeah. And it, apparently it's more natural to use. I'm sort of obsessed. I don't even use a mouse right now. I'm just using the trackpad only. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like this mouse. Very so. cool. But yeah, I, I was like, what is happening? It was like weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you get used to, right? No, definitely. But yeah. it definitely doesn't like cramp your hand as much. So it is more natural if you think about it. If you just like extend your hand. Like it's like a handshake. It's like you're giving oh, a that, handshake. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Here's a funny anecdote about kids these days. You know, I've worked with kids for a long time, and gifted kids usually were coming in pretty advanced on computers and technology. But for the past maybe five years, you know, they start working with me in second grade. They don't know how to use a mouse anymore. You put these kids on the computer, and they're used to iPads and touch screens, and they they just they don't know how to operate the computer using a mouse. It's just really funny. You have to teach them that. And and watching these kids who are good at so many things and they don't know how to click and open things and you can tell who has a computer at home and who only has like iPads and things with touch screens. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It really is interesting because for a while all the kids were coming in with that basic knowledge and then all of a sudden it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Some of them have it, but I mean of course they all learn how to how to do it eventually, but it's just funny watching them try to learn to navigate it. Yeah. I've also been listening to a new audiobook. Oh, what is that? It's The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. She's the one who wrote The Upside of Stress that I've talked about before. Okay. It's amazing. Try, I don't I may have read that or seen I can't remember. I'm really enjoying it and I'm learning a ton about we we could have like a willpower episode. I could just like yeah. say everything that's in the book because it's like so motivating, like all these different tips and tricks and why it's hard to maintain willpower and and all of the reasons that we come up with to to give in. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think that's valuable stuff. Yeah. So maybe next week I'll um I'll come up with my favorite takeaways from it. Awesome. That sounds great. Teach us some things about willpower. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, that's where we put all the stuff that we like. So I'll put a link there to that book and also to the mouse. And yes. So shall we jump into the questions and everything for today and the feedback? Yeah, let's get started. Our first is feedback from Francesca. And Francesca says, Hello, ladies. I'm sorry this isn't a question, but I felt so compelled to write in anyway. I just feel like my experience is probably very different than others who have made the switch to IF and wanted to give a different perspective. So here goes. I am 28 years old and work as a clinical pharmacy specialist. 
Like most jobs, we get lunch from about 12 to 1. My job at the time was really intense, so I found myself consistently not eating lunch because I had so much work to do. Some days I would eat later in the workday. Some days I would end up coming home at 4.30 p.m. and realizing I forgot to eat all day long. Never was a breakfast gal. As time went on, I found that I wasn't even thinking about eating during the day. On top of that, I had all this energy and felt really good. What? It didn't make sense. I was also dropping weight without meaning to at all. I was around 5'6", 130 pounds at the time, and perfectly happy with my body. Up until I discovered IF about a month ago, I was so mad at myself all this time. I was mad at myself for not eating, thinking I was doing major harm to my body, despite the fact that I wasn't hungry and felt really good. Our culture really promotes constant eating, so I felt like I needed to. I would end up forcing myself to eat some days, which is not only disgusting, but really frustrating as well. I was unhappy in that respect and felt like a failure. My relationship with food became a bad one, and I truly believe it impacted me more than I even realized. Anyway, flash forward to now. Wow. I was unconsciously doing IF basically this whole time and had no idea. I am now doing 24 and basically living a one meal a day lifestyle. It has changed my life. I am no longer mad at myself for not eating the typical three full meals per day with snacks in between. In fact, I am so happy knowing all of this one, all of the wonderful health benefits I'm giving myself by living this amazing lifestyle. I know why I have all this energy and can go all day without even thinking about food, but still be laser focused. All of this has a purpose now, and I love how it makes me feel. Again, do not care about the weight or fat loss, but my husband keeps commenting on how amazing he thinks I look lately. He is biased, but you get the idea. I feel great. Seriously, you girls were not kidding. My mood is fantastic, and I feel like I enjoy things so much more. Food is my friend again, and I look forward to my nightly feast, lol. My biggest hurdle is just making sure I'm getting enough nutrition each day. That being said, I followed your advice, and I'm eating intuitively, and it has been working great. I never go hungry. I eat until I feel full. I listen to my body, and it works. If there's one piece of advice I can give to people starting IF, it is to trust the process. The changes are real if you have faith and be patient. Okay, enough rambling. I just really wanted to reach out to let you ladies know my story and say thank you for the wonderful podcast. I discovered IF podcast when I was doing research on the subject, and I am so happy I did. You both are a joy to listen to, and I look forward to more from the both of you. I am currently reading Melanie's book, and will start on Jen's books once done. Keep doing what you're doing and being an inspiration for women in general and the IF community. Hugs and kisses, Francesca. I loved this letter so much. You know, Melanie, you've probably heard this from people before. I, I certainly have. People who flash back to a time and realize they were doing intermittent fasting and not knowing it and they like felt the best they ever felt in their life and then they felt pressured to to give in to the eating frequently mentality didn't feel as good or felt guilty that they were skipping breakfast that sort of thing have you heard that before that was the first thing i was going to say yeah people say that all the time yeah that they were doing it not even realize or just doing it automatically but then feeling like it was not acceptable or not healthy and then they, everything comes full circle. Right. I love it, though, because we we learn to question ourselves by having to fall into what, you know, we think is the, quote, right thing to do. And then we turn off all of our, our internal cues and rely on, oh, it's noon, I must eat now, or it's whatever. And so it's, it's amazing that, um, you know, Francesca mentioned it, we're learning to be more intuitive. And who would have thought that intermittent fasting would be the missing link for that intuitive eating it's pretty amazing i know and this mo email was so motivational as well it really was thank you so much francesca we loved it yes, and i know that you. our listeners will too <laughs> all right now we have some more listener feedback and since i ever since i talked about the restless legs on the podcast we got quite a few emails and also some instagrams and lots of stuff so here's some some tips and tricks from listeners for restless legs so katie says so here's what my podiatrist. Oh, podiatrist. What is that? Foot doctor. Oh wow. Podiatrist. <laughs> so Katie says, so here's what what 
podiatrist yeah podiatrist foot doctor <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna cut this out but i think i'll just leave it in podiatrist yeah. i didn't even know what podiatrist. that was <laughs> wow i know i need a foot doctor okay <laughs> so here's what my podiatrist told me i struggle with restless leg syndrome if you have high arches and don't wear shoes that have arch support this causes your calf muscles to fatigue because they're having to work harder this is one of the causes of restless leg syndrome especially if you're prone to getting I don't even know. Plantar fasciitis. Ginger, <laughs> you should read this email. <laughs> oh, did I tell y'all I'm, I'm a podiatrist? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm not. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so she told me to never walk around in bare feet, always wear a shoe with an arch support. Vionic has a couple of great flip-flops with arch support. Never wear totally flat shoes. A one to two inch heel is best. My sister has restless leg syndrome as well, and she feels like eating a banana before bed helps, so it can be a potassium thing but I don't find that helps me. Lots of possible fixes. Hope you find something that works for you. P.S. Thanks for the podcast and all the helpful information. I've been doing IF since March and I've lost 20 pounds. Never been able to lose weight dieting even when I was running six plus miles a day. Love how easy it was to lose the weight doing IF. So thank you, Katie. That's great to hear about your success with IF. Love the info about the restless legs. I did realize that um, I did recently switch over to completely flat shoes when it started getting warmer. So now I'm bringing back the flip-flops with the arch support. So That is interesting. Hopefully hmm. that helps. I'm barefoot like all the time. Like like I only wear shoes if I have to leave the house <laughs> pretty much. You know, I'm, now that it's summer, I'm like, have I had shoes on today? No, not yet. I wear like re- really flat flip-flops inside. But yeah. Yeah. And then we have another restless leg email. This one comes from Sarah and she says, hi, Melanie. The best thing I found for restless legs after years, I use simply vital quiet legs. It contains organic Klamath blue green algae. Also PEA organic grape extract, organic ginger root, star anise and ionic minerals. Totally brilliant and helps dopamine functioning. So thank you, Sarah. And um, I do keep reading that it can relate often to dopamine. So I actually bought the supplement that's like, it's called like Dopa Boost or something. And it has like the, the Dopa Macuna in it. Also like it has some um, green tea extract and L-tyrosine and all the things. So I just got that. So I'm really excited. So I'll report back on that. But um, yeah, so lots of restless legs ideas. <laughs> Yeah, it really, it is, it, when it happens, it is not a good feeling. It's not, especially when you're really tired and I, and you could fall asleep if only your legs didn't want to just run to Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Would you like to read the next feedback? Yes. This is from Brianna. And the subject is smaller serapeptase pills plus natokinase. Hey ladies, I listen to your podcast whenever I can. I'm a fitness trainer and I'm always busy, but this is my go-to when I have time to listen to something. Love you both and all of your insights. The listen to your body advice is what I tell all of my clients the most as well. Anyway, I was catching up on episodes recently and I heard an inquiry on your serapeptase episode from a listener who doesn't do well with large pills or supplements. Well, if that listener is still having this issue, I'd like to tell you guys about the brand I use. I can't attach a photo of it, so here's a link. And, of course, we'll have this link in um, in the show notes. It's an enteric-coated serapeptase that are really tiny tablets about the size of what I remember Claritin being before she stopped having to use it. So that is what um, Brianna said about that. She said, hope that helps. Also, I was wondering if you ladies had heard anything or had any experience with natokinase, another enzyme that has purportedly similar-ish benefits as serapeptase. There's a supplement at Natural Grocers where I get my serapeptase that's actually a combo of both, which I found interesting, so I thought I'd ask. Thanks so much again. Jen, have you tried natokinase? I have not. No. It's derived from natto, right, which is like a soy kind of a product. I know people who have used it in the Facebook groups. They've talked about it, but I have not. Have you? No, yeah, so it comes from natto, which is fermented soybeans. Um, it's a popular dish in Asia. I ordered some because I'd been, I'd been reading about it, and I actually ordered some independent of this email 
But then when it came, I, it was the same brand as the one we use, the Doctor's Best, yeah. but it had fillers in it that weren't oh. in the Serapeptase. I don't know why. It had like maltodextrin or some other things. So I returned it. So I actually haven't oh. tried it, but I have read that it can be really effective and a lot of people take it instead of Serapeptase or they take it with Serapeptase. But for listeners who aren't familiar, it's a proteolytic enzyme. So basically you take it in the fasted state and enters into your bloodstream and breaks down protein deposits and buildups in your body. Yeah. So, And again, this is um, one of those things you need to – don't just start taking it because we talked about it on the podcast. But I, I did read some things about it just because I hadn't used it. And it talks about how it um, decreases the blood's ability to clot. So if you have any issues with, with – with that, you know, you don't want anything to thin your blood, then don't take natokinase. Um, you should not use it with other blood thinning agents, definitely. So, but that blood thinning um, ability or the blood thinning property of natokinase is why that it um, is said to be so good for conditions. It prevents stroke, great for people who are prone to heart attacks, that sort of thing, conditions caused by blood clots. So just be careful. <laughs> Make sure you're a good candidate. Please do your research. And don't just, you know, jump on the on the train because we talked about it here. Because it might be like something that you absolutely should not take based on certain medical conditions you may have. It's a good note. <laughs> yep. Alrighty, shall we jump into our questions for today? Yes. So to start things off, we have a question from Kim, and the subject is transition to one meal a day. And Kim says, Hi. First, I want to tell you that I submitted a question before about headaches, and then I heard Jen say that not everything that happens is due to IF. Whatever the cause, my headaches have passed and I feel weirdly great. I have energy throughout the day, as long as I eat a healthy meal for my one meal a day and no junk or sugar, in which case I feel exhausted. My question is, how did you transition to one meal a day? For me, I've been eating my one meal a day early afternoon, partly because I hate feeling full before sleep. Thanks for your podcast. It's so helpful and inspiring. Before I started IF, I felt like I was going from snack to meal to snack. It's so strange how the compulsion isn't really there now. This approach is much easier than calorie counting. Thank you. So, Jen, how did you transition? Yeah, it was such an interesting path for me. Um, and Kim, I totally agree with you. The compulsion to eat all the time, going from snack to meal to snack, I was always like, could I, is it time to eat? Should I eat? What could I have? What it was like, I don't know. It was constant. So I totally get that. How did I transition to one meal a day? Um, it just, it happened. I was really focused on the weight loss and I talk about all of this in delay. Don't deny. So if you haven't read that, pick up a copy. My whole weight loss story is in delay. Don't deny. But, um, I did some things along the way with severe, restriction that I would absolutely not recommend now. And I talk about this candidly in the book. So I don't, you know, want to mislead anybody that I just immediately went to one meal a day and lost the weight and boom. So um, I was really restricting how much I was eating in a day, which is not recommended, not something I would like for you to do. But I realized that I felt better if I ate it all in one meal, even though I wasn't eating very much and it, it wasn't enough food. I drifted naturally into the one meal a day pattern. And um, then after I realized, you know, this total restriction that I was doing was not good for me because I started to like obsess about food and being hungry about food. And that's the whole listening to your body thing. Luckily, the severe restriction, I didn't do that very long. You know, the actual diet plan that I was following at that time, I was in Facebook groups for it and it, it promoted like severe restriction. And, you know, some people were like great at it and they stuck to it for months and months and months. Luckily for me, I was not great at it and I was only able to do it for a very short time before I was like starving and obsessed with food and had to get off of it. So I'm just lucky, I guess, that I did not have the, the determination to stick with that because it actually was not good. And I'm glad that, um, that my body said, hey, quit doing this. And I'm glad that I listened. But because I had been doing that one meal a day, even you know, the very small amount of food, I was like, well, maybe if I just ate normally, you know, one meal a day, then I'll be fine. And, you know, I had been doing the Fast Five plan that Dr. Hearing wrote about in his Fast Five book and focusing on, you know, that five-hour eating window. But 
for some reason, I missed the part of the book where he said things like, you're only having one meal, so, you know, things like that. So I really think that he intended Fast Five to be a one meal a day within a five-hour window after rereading his book with that lens, you know, looking at it that way. Um, I had been trying to have two meals within a five-hour window or, like, maximizing my eating opportunities. But once I realized that, oh, maybe I should be thinking about this five-hour eating window as really one meal a day, that is when I shifted to the one meal a day intermittent fasting pattern, still within, you know, an eating window that could be anywhere from one to five hours, but only having one actual meal. So that was my story. Now, I wish I could go all the way back, you know, tell myself what I know now and say, hey, here's what you need to do. Fast clean, eat one real meal, stick it within a, about a five-hour window, boom. I would have skipped all those crazy parts in between when I was, you know, dieting and trying this and trying that. And, you know, we, we learn we learn from mistakes as much as we learn from, from doing the right thing. So um, that that's basically my whole convoluted way that I, I got into it. And um, don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> But, but you know, if you do, that's okay. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, we all get here all from a different crazy... place. We do. I would not recommend doing yeah. <laughs> that way. That would not be my, my suggestion. But, um, you know, and I also never would have thought it would be a lifestyle. It seemed like, you know, I was coming from it from the mindset of like, I am on a diet now. This is how I'm going to diet. And we think a diet is something we do temporarily to lose weight instead of a lifestyle where you adjust to to make it suit your life. Yeah, exactly. So how about you, Melanie? How did you transition to one meal a day? Well, for me, also my crazy story is in my book. Yeah. <laughs> so you can check out What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting and Wine. And there are links to all of our books on the website. Um, so side note, listeners, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 62. That's where we have the show notes for today. And you can also go to ifpodcast.com, like I said, um, slash stuff we like for all the stuff we like. But for me... It was a crazy journey as well. I came from, I was really super low carb when I first heard about the whole one meal a day concept. I actually came across a blog post online and it was about the warrior diet by Ori Hoff Meckler, who we had on the podcast last week. That, that's why that was so surreal and so crazy to be interviewing him because he's the reason I started the whole intermittent fasting thing. But I read a blog post. It wasn't actually his book, but it was a post about his book and about doing one meal a day. And I decided to do it for a week because I was already low carb and really seeing good results from that. So I was like, I'll do it for a week. This sounds interesting. <laughs> it had, I remember there was like 300 comments on the blog post and I read every single one and they were all so enthusiastic. So I was like, I'll do it for a week. And kind of like you said, Jen, you didn't see it being a lifestyle. It was kind right. of like a, a temporary thing, but yeah, I started and I, I never looked back. So the yeah. transition, the transition wasn't as difficult for me, I don't think, because I was already super low carb. So I was already in a really fat burning state. It was just a matter of changing the timing. And I remember I just chugged lots of tea the first day. I was like, this is going to be so miserable, but it wasn't. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I never stopped. Actually, after that, that's when I went into my crazy eat an entire rotisserie chicken every night phase. So basically, they would mark down the rotisserie chickens every night to like $3 and something cents at 11 p.m. And so when my night class would get over around 10 p.m., I would go over to the store, get my huge chicken, feast on it with coconut oil. I did that for about that's hardcore man I did that for about six months <laughs> oh gosh did you not get tired of rotisserie chicken no I looked forward to it so much I think it's really true that you start craving whatever you're eating I've noticed that in general just recently I've been experimenting with different foods uh -oh. and when I start eating certain food I start craving it but um yep that ended when I decided to do an apple fast which was the complete opposite <laughs> I basically ate apples all day. Oh, gosh. See, I've done crazy things like that, too. And 
I, like I said, I would like to go back and just tell myself, here, read this book right here from the future. <laughs> just, just do this and calm it down. <laughs> calm it down, girlfriend. I was like, oh, have you, did you ever do the egg fast where you just eat eggs all day? Yeah. Yeah. And the potato hack. See, I do great with potatoes, but I need the fat. Like a potato just plain. Uh-uh. Does not work well. No. But I learned I can't do too low fat. That didn't work very well at all. So, yeah. Listeners, do not do these crazy diets. We're not recommending them. These are diets we recommend you not do. <laughs> Instead, just do intermittent fasting. <laughs> and I think that this um, this shed some light on something very important about both of us. We were desperate to find a way of life that that would work. You know, we bounced from diet to diet, at least I did, diet to diet to diet, and let's try this crazy thing and that crazy thing. And ever since I adopted the intermittent fasting lifestyle and really, you know, learned how to do it and got comfortable with it, I haven't felt the need to do that. I no longer am looking for something. And so this has been the only thing. And, you know, I'm, I'll be turning 49 next month. And this is the only thing that has allowed me to maintain my weight, still lose stubborn fat. You know, I'm still slowly losing cellulite in places that I, I would not like to have it, right? <laughs> and this is it. This is, it's, I eat what I, what makes me feel good every day of my life. So that's the moral of this crazy story of diets we have tried. We don't need to do that anymore. All right, shall we move on to the, to the next question? This is from Aaron. And the subject is beer and wine. Hi, ladies. Love the podcast. I've listened to a few different IF podcasts, and yours stands head and shoulders above the rest. Yay. Thank you, Aaron. He says, I find it the perfect mix of scientific and anecdotal evidence, as well as your own personal experiences. I'm following the 16-8 method, but gradually shortening my window. I've been doing IF for about a month, and I've just now felt my body adapt and the hunger cravings during the day subside. It was like a switch for me one day and was very evident. My question is, if I have a large lunch at, say, 2 p.m. and then don't feel like having dinner, but I have a glass or two of wine or beer at night, does my window officially close after my last alcoholic beverage? I know alcohol contains calories, and therefore technically that's when my window would close, but seeing as how I haven't eaten since 2 p.m. that day, surely the alcohol wouldn't require as much digestion as a dinner meal would have. Thanks, girls. Really appreciate all the work you put in. Cheers, Erin. All righty, Erin. Thank you so much for your question. And it, I mean, it's a really good question. And it's kind of a similar situation would be, for example, like if you, you know, had your huge meal and you ate it during the day and then later that night you had, you know, like a cup of fruit you know, it's like it's like what we talked about before in the past about how some things are processed, you know, really quickly. And if you have like a little bit, how does that affect the fast and such? So the bad news is, yes, <laughs> I mean, it is breaking your fast. Um, so drinking alcohol, even if it was just straight up like vodka um, with no sugar, no anything else in it, it is going to switch you from a fat burning mode to a primarily alcohol burning mode. So you're not, depending on what you're having, I mean, he, he says beer and wine, those already have like, um, sugar with them and other compounds, but so you're, you're not necessarily going to be storing fat per se, because the body is going to basically just switch from a fat burning state. I mean, I'm generalizing, but it's basically just going to switch from a fat burning state to an alcohol burning state. So you'll basically be running off of that alcohol rather than running off of your fat, but it is switching you out of that fast. So technically you're, you extended your window and depending how fast of an alcohol metabolizer you are, that'll determine how quickly you jump back into the fasted state. But yeah, that that's the that's the situation. I mean, and then again, we have, we've had people on the podcast like the um the dry farm wines guy and I mean, he he says that drinking alcohol for him doesn't even switch him out of ketosis, which is interesting and other people have said that as well, but long story short, yes, you're you're not going to be in the fasted fat burning state. Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that you you answered that just the the way that I would have same, same, same. Yep. That's what I was going to say. 
And um, yeah, but you know, I don't imagine that you do this every day. Yeah, some days you'll have a longer window. Some days you'll have a shorter window. And so it's all about, you know, what are your goals? How long are you trying to fast? And, um, you know, it might be just fine. Well, you know, technically you have a, a longer, you know, eating window that day. But is it affecting you negatively? That's what you have to keep in mind. If everything's working well, then, you know, don't stress how long is my window. Um, if you're getting the results you want and just, again, be careful with alcohol and an empty stomach. That's, <laughs> that's Jen's word of warning. I mean, and it is very <laughs> true with like actual food. It's got to go through this whole processing process and puts you into the fed state. So there is a lot more going on there. Whereas with alcohol, it's kind of like the body just starts burning it. It doesn't have that whole crazy process. Yeah. I wouldn't stress about it if it's not every day. For me, I would yeah. just get massively hungry. So I could, I couldn't do oh, yeah. that. Me too. If I if I was just drinking, I would I would need to eat. That's the thing. <laughs> so the next email comes from Diana and she says, "Hi there. Thank you so much for your podcast. I've listened to all your episodes. And now when your new episode comes out on Monday morning, it definitely makes my drive to work much easier. Here is my question/observation. It's almost 5 p.m. and I'm waiting one more hour before I can eat." I'm thinking of what I want to eat and I'm salivating, normal reaction, but wouldn't that break the fast? Am I releasing insulin if I start to feel hungry? What I'm saying is sometimes if I see food on TV or smell cookies cooking in the kitchen and I start salivating, wouldn't that somehow mean that insulin is flowing and I'm not in the fasting mode? It's not like this every day, but sometimes I guess the fast gets interrupted or am I wrong? Have a great week, Diana. All right, now I'm going to say one thing first and before I get into the science of this, and that is I have made it my philosophy of life not to stress over anything I cannot control. For example, I can control, you know, picking up a cookie and eating the cookie. I, I don't have to eat the cookie. I can control not having a diet soda. I can control not adding stevia and cream to my coffee, right? I can control those things. What I can't control is walking through the mall and there's Cinnabon and I smell it. I can't control, you know, things like that. I can't control looking at a commercial and there's a cheeseburger. So I have made it my philosophy not to stress or worry about things that are out of my control because then we'll go crazy. Now, that being said, I found a couple of studies and yeah, you know, different things cause our bodies to release insulin in anticipation of food. Whether it's enough to disrupt your fat burning. See, so much of this is individualized, you know. Um, one study that I found was called Salivation and Insulin Secretion in Response to Food in Non-Obese Men and Women. And yes, you know, when food was presented to them in a way that made their bodies anticipate they were about to eat, they did release, you know, there was a, the quote from the article is there was there were significant increases in saliva and plasma insulin in response to the presentation of food. So that might like freak us all out and think, oh no, you know, my insulin's just going crazy all day and I can't even help it. That's why I try not to worry about things I can't control. This is a study though that I thought that was very interesting. It was called Body's Anticipation of a Meal Can Be a Diabetes Risk Factor. And basically, it, it, had a, it talked about a link between a certain gene, and I'm not going to get into all of this because it's a lot of words. I'm not even sure if I was going to say them properly, but apparently there's a gene that increases your risk of type 2 diabetes. And so it, it, this part, I, I can read because I can pronounce all these words. It says, this happens through an impairment of the insulin secretion that is added by the parasympathetic nervous system. So I, putting all this together, have a feeling, you know, we're all different. It seems to me like some people have a more sensitive anticipatory insulin secretion than perhaps other people do. So that might explain why some people, you know, they joke, I just have to look at a cookie to gain weight. You know, perhaps those people do have more of a sensitivity to that sort of insulin secretion. That is absolutely not something that we can control or fix or or do anything about. That's why I don't want you to stress about it. You know, I would not carry a cookie around with me all day and smell it every five minutes. That would be a bad idea. But just, I also think our mindset is important because if you're at the mall and you smell the Cinnabon and you walk over and you're like, I would like to eat one and you look at it and you think about eating it, 
that's going to be more along the lines of you're anticipating you're going to eat it. But, you know, we get a lot of sensory input in our bodies every day. And um, I don't know, I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but our our brains ignore a lot of it, right? You know, these sensory things are coming in, we ignore them. So if you just make it, oh, not a big deal, I smelled that, now I'm moving on. Your brain is not going to fixate on that smell and think about, now I'm going to eat it. So shift your attention away. And I, I really think that where we put our focus could make a difference. So yeah, you know, different people are going to have different responses. And I found that to be very, very interesting. It could explain a lot of the individuality or wh why some people have so much trouble losing weight. You know, they may be part of that group of people who have that gene that increases the insulin secretion just because of um, anticipating or smelling a meal. We'll put both of those studies in um as links in the show notes, but it, it is fascinating. You know, once again, it is not just as simple as calories in, calories out, we're all the same, eat this, you'll be just like me. So we we have differences that that mean that, you know, you could be doing everything exactly right and you've got one of those bodies that responds differently and it is not your fault, but you don't know why it's, you know, why this it's like that. What do you have to say, Melanie? Yeah, that actually reminded me of quite a few things. Uh, I mentioned I was reading that willpower book and it talked a lot about things similar to what you said because one of the things it was talking about was if you want certain <laughs> foods or if you struggle with certain temptations, like don't make them easily accessible, not because you want it more. Like it, it literally, it, your brain processes it, processes it differently if it's accessible right away versus not accessible. Like it's like processed in a different part of the brain. I think it's like the difference between like an immediate reward versus a, a long-term reward. Um, so it was saying something as simple as like, if you really, <laughs> if you struggle with like candy or something, the difference between having it on the counter versus in a drawer completely can change how your brain sees it as a temptation. And then it also can explain why <laughs> when you're making a dietary change that it suggested that you go through your cabinets and get rid of literally everything because as long as your brain knows that it's an option, you'll start to, you'll, you'll crave it more and you'll want it more and you'll salivate it more. Whereas if it's not an option, your brain won't think about it. So like if you're trying to get rid of sweets, if you have sweets in the house, your brain is going to know they're in the house and it's going to keep you craving them. Whereas if they're not in the house, um, it's going to be much easier. And so it's a very neurological thing. I found a similar study. It was called Influence of External and Covert Food Stimuli on Insulin Secretion in Obese and Normal Persons. And it found basically the same thing that you were talking about, Jen. They were trying to see how insulin secretions were affected by thoughts about food and eating, which is exactly what Diana was asking about. And they found that thoughts did stimulate insulin release. And they also found the similar thing with the study, like you were talking about, Jen, that the obese people had a greater response than the normal weight people. Yeah. And we, we so we worry about things. And so that's why I was even hesitant to talk about it because I mean, of course, we're, we have to talk about it, but people will like be like, oh my gosh, and then they'll like be obsessed with worrying about it, and that doesn't help either. <laughs> like somebody will be wearing a clothespin on their nose so they don't smell Cinnabon. You know, that's the wrong approach. You don't, don't, don't like overreact to that either. Make it a non-event and don't worry about it and don't stress. And then one last thought I had was even if it, so even if insulin is released, you're not taking – and assuming you don't act on it, you're not taking in food. So it's not like you're entering the fed state. You know what I mean? Like um, you're still fasted. You're just fasted with insulin released. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. But, you know, if your insulin is released to a certain point, you're not going to access your stored fat. That that does keep you from tapping into that. So that's the, the dilemma. So what would you be running on? I mean, that's when you start to, that's when you start, you're not, if you're not accessing your stored fat efficiently, that's when you start like breaking down muscles. And that's the whole, 
I mean, that that's the whole opposite of fasting, like the, like in the low-calorie diet because you keep your insulin up. Have you ever watched any Butterbob videos? No. He's a guy. He was doing low-carb. I don't think he's made any new videos recently, but um, Butterbob has a video that is very interesting. It's called Fasting. It's something like – I'll see if I can I can send you a copy of this. You can link it in the show notes. Fasting and the 50% insulin solution or something like that. But Butterbob addresses this exact situation about if you have constantly high levels of circulating insulin, you could still be fasting. But because you are that person with high levels of circulating insulin, even though you're not eating, you're not tapping into your food stores efficiently. He really talks about all the science behind it and everything. So y'all go to this Butterbob video and and he'll explain it to you really well. It's a it's a pretty powerful video, and it illustrates why people that are just starting out who have been overweight for a really long time and have high insulin because you're, you're insulin resistant, so your body is used to pumping it out, and you, you have those high levels constantly. Your baseline or fasting insulin level is higher all the time. You are going to have a really hard time losing weight for a while until you can get that down. And that is why, I mean, y'all know I'm the opposite of, of low carb in the way that I eat. But if you're someone with severe insulin resistance and, and you're having trouble tapping into your fat, you may need to adopt low carb or keto for a while just to get your insulin down. And, you know, eating low carb and then fasting, that one-two punch like Jason Fung recommends and um, in his work in intensive dietary management, that's that one-two punch that you need to get your insulin down. So people who are struggling and having a really hard time, I talk about this in the troubleshooting chapter of Delay, Don't Deny. If you're doing everything, quote, right during the fast and you're not losing weight, you may need to take that that more, as Dr. Fung puts it, that more intensive measure to get your insulin down even further. So it is a real concern. But that, let me, let me make a note to, to send you that Butterbob video because it is really, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. So for listeners, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes for sure. And um, actually, I do. I have seen a video by Butter Bob. Now that I think, now that I think about it. Um, okay. So I have a question. So this is me just like thinking aloud. So that's the whole situation with you know somebody who's insulin resistant, somebody who's not adequately tapping into fat stores, probably perpetually in this sort of state of struggling. What about a person who is, you know, so let's say for um, Diana, for example, let's assume that she's not insulin resistant and that she's like really in the fasted state. So her, her bloodstream is, you know, full of fatty acids. That's what she's running on. Then she has this thought. She starts salivating. She releases insulin. So yes, insulin might stop her from burning further fat. And insulin would be, would pull any sugar out of the bloodstream, but I mean, insulin's not going to pull the the fatty acids out of the bloodstream. Yeah. See, the thing is, is that everybody has insulin in their bloodstream all the time. It's not like you have zero versus right. So it's not like you're going from zero to a hundred. You know, there everybody's got like a baseline level, and that's the thing. And you know, our body's constantly shifting metabolically from thing that are doing this, doing that. You know, so many things are going on constantly. It's not like, you know, this versus that. So if, if someone had a low plasma level of insulin normally, they're going along with a low level of insulin and then a tiny little blip, bloop, that's not going to really affect them. But if someone is constantly high, 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 not getting, you know, that, that's when it matters, right? You want to be able to have it. There's like a threshold where you're going to be burning fat below this threshold, you're going to be able to access your fat stores efficiently above this threshold. You're not, I mean, what is that threshold? I don't know. I'm sure some people know that. (laughs) I don't know it. And we also can't measure our insulin at home. There is no at home insulin test. There's a doctor. Let me see if I can find some resources to share with this too. Dr. Kraft is his name. He, um, some has has done work with insulin testing and his work really didn't get a lot of the attention that I, I feel like it probably deserved but he has um, written about testing insulin and there's like a um anyway I'll, I'll find that and link it the dr craft insulin work it's just it's just so very interesting and that is why we're all so different like if you are doing intermittent fasting day in day out and you never get a burst of energy and you never 
you know, feel like you get to ketosis and you've been doing it for six months and you're getting more tired and more tired and you're not losing weight, you may be one of those people that has really high baseline levels of insulin and you are not tapping into your stored fat. And that is why you don't feel better. And that is why you're lethargic and tired. And that is why you're not losing fat. So complicated. It really, really is. And if only there were like a, here is the one, two, three, exactly what every person must do. And then you all have these fabulous results. I mean, whoever invented that would be a billionaire. But there is nothing like that because our bodies are different. No matter what result works for me, no matter what result works for Melanie, you could follow us around and copy every motion, bite of food, everything we do, and have a completely different result. That is why... I mean, you could read my book, you could read Melanie's book and not get the same results we got because there's something else going on in your body. That is why this is so complicated and why you have to tweak and, and try it. And you, know, you say, oh, this doesn't, doesn't work. Well, there's something going on keeping your body from accessing your stored fat. Is it your thyroid hormones? Is it your insulin level? Is it, I mean, it could be so many things because our bodies are complicated. You know, and understanding how our bodies work can help us to play detective and help us troubleshoot and figure out what it could be. That's, that's why education and educating yourself is so important. Because if we could just all just eat less and move more, we'd all be, you know, we wouldn't be struggling. <laughs> it reminds me of, I'm trying to think what book it is. It might be good calories, bad calories. There's some book and they have, and it's talking about like the hormonal aspect of fat burning and how there are so many factors involved. I think it's good calories, bad calories. Have you, have you read that? Does it yes. have pictures in it? I don't remember pictures, but there, I just remember there's some book and it has pictures in it of people who, um, it was, it was a patient who stored fat, like because of hormonal reasons, completely wrong. Yeah. Like, like they'd be like super skinny on the top and obese right on the bottom. Yeah. And I mean, I, that alone is just an indication that, you know, it's not calories in, calories exactly. out. I mean, it's not, you know, Dr. Fung's if it best, were, yeah, his best illustration of that is type one diabetics who, you know, like cannot gain weight no matter what, because of, they don't have insulin and they, they, before they understood insulin and, and your you know blood sugar and how that worked they they called it like a wasting disease because people who had type 1 diabetes couldn't make insulin and they could not could not put on the weight i mean we know that so if those people because of their bodies don't make insulin cannot store fat and they would eventually die then why why do we not understand that that is an important variable at play? And yeah, but if for everybody else, other than those people, it's just the calories. No, <laughs> it isn't. We're, we're a lot more complicated than that. So yes, it is complicated. It's so complicated. But yeah, that Butter Bob link that I'll share is just so eye-opening. And he links to the science of it. And I think he even talks about Dr. Kraft in there. So maybe that'll just all be within that one link. So Definitely, that's why it's important to understand this. And the thing that I want everybody to understand is if you're not having results, it doesn't mean intermittent fasting doesn't work. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work for you. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're broken and can't be fixed. It just means you haven't found it yet. You haven't figured out your tweak that you need. And so don't quit. Don't give up. Keep figuring out your body. So for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 62, we'll put links to all of that, all of those studies, the Butter Bob link, all the things. All righty. Well, once again, we only got to about half of our questions, but um, that's okay. So for listeners, a few things before we go. Uh, like I said, ifpodcast.com slash episode 62. Also, ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put all the stuff that we like. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is ifpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. It is, I just, I made the Twitter account sort of recently and all of the good handles that related to us are taken. Oh, I so like we, we are, like ifpodcast was taken. What? All right, and it didn't even have to, it didn't even have to do with intermittent fasting. It had to do with like some sport. Oh, that's funny. Huh? Okay. So we are the IF Pod. Okay. I thought that I saw that we were the IF Pod, and I thought that was just like I tried. I tried so hard. 
You know how you know how on Instagram people have like cutesy names a lot of the time instead of like their name. Yeah. I was like, maybe that's what people do on Twitter. I am back on Twitter, by the way. Oh, and Jen is on well, Twitter. Well, I can't ever be Jen Stevens. No, I can never be that because that crazy person that stole my account and Twitter's like, I cannot help you. We do not care. That is closed. Goodbye. Never contact us again. <laughs> You're dead to Twitter. So that was the problem. I changed my email and I could never get back. But anyway, I am Jen underscore Stevens. Or Jen Underline, or what is it? Underscore, whatever it is. Underscore, yeah. I think. Jen and Underscore I'm, Stevens, and it's G I N, and Stevens is with a P H. And I'm Melanie Avalon on Twitter. I wish I could be just Jen Stevens. That would be nice. I know, but just yourself. Jen Underscore <laughs> Stevens, and that's me. And I'm kind of boring so far. Maybe I have to learn how to do it. But you can follow me, but you're not going to be excited unless I just learn how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All the with your retirement. Yeah, I got know, time. Maybe yeah. you can. I'll be tweeting stuff all the time. Like, there's my cat. What's it doing? <laughs> also, a few other things uh, you can check out our books. So, mine is What, When, Why: Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting with Intermittent Fasting and Wine, and then Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, Living the Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle, and also Feast Without Fear, Food and the Delay, Don't Deny Lifestyle, and she's about to have the delay don't deny life journal and in the word life the if is a different color for intermittent fasting and it's the subtitle is charting your intermittent fasting lifestyle and um basically this was popular demand that people asked for in the group um believe it or not they ask for things and so i'm like all right i gotta do it but it has all sorts of different tools in there that you can use like if you if you're like a paper pencil kind of person, you like to write things. It's got like regular journaling. It's got weight tracking, weighing daily with weekly averaging. If you like to weigh, of course, that's the way I recommend doing the weekly averaging. You can graph it. You can um, reflect upon non-scale victories and affirmations and set goals. There's a weekly calendar and planner. Basically, I said, what do y'all want in a in a tool like this? And this was like back in the fall. So I've been working on it since the fall. And had, you know, getting a lot of input from people in the Facebook groups. And I've even had like a core group of people who have looked at it and told me how it needed to be better. So um, it's just about ready. And I, I hope that everybody likes it. Now, my husband, this is a, just a side note. He doesn't understand the whole journaling thing. <laughs> he doesn't know why people would want it. I will say I finally started journaling with, like I I always kind of written like journaled on the computer. Um, but I finally did the whole pen to paper thing. It makes such a difference. Yeah. Like you just feel like the stuff is leaving you. Like I think it's true. Yeah. I I just started <laughs> I just started writing and then I just started crying and I was like, What what is happening? Like this is like not <laughs> So yeah, I really recommend I think it journal. is a powerful process. And people who don't have that inclination or have never done it they don't get it but my my younger son the one who's more artsy he um carries a journal around with him all the time and he writes in it he like like he just writes things he's 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 a writer kind of a person so he gets it my husband does not you know people who prefer the apps they want to do an app whatever this is the opposite of that (laughs) this is for people who like to write and they want to have you know that paper pen experience but um, so I know this isn't going to be a tool for everybody, but for people who like that, and maybe it's a tool for somebody who doesn't know they would like it. So it's something to keep in mind. It'll be available on Amazon um, maybe by the time this this episode airs, but be on the lookout for it. Well, we will we'll definitely have links to it when it's available. And also I will say if you do read our books and you have a moment to write a brief review on Amazon, that really, really helps more than Only you Only if you know. like them. <laughs> right. If you don't like them, forget that you've ever you ever heard like of this. I said nothing. <laughs> oh, you know what? Dave, okay, so Dave Asprey, the bulletproof podcast guy, what he says at the end of every one of his episodes that I sort of want to steal, but then I feel like we'll be stealing if we say it. But he always says it'd be really appreciated if you write a review of his book, and and if you don't do it of his book, go write a review of somebody's book that you like because the reviews really yeah. help. And that I really is like nice. that. Yeah. So, but then hopefully they leave it for your. For your <laughs> Only if you like it. <laughs> if you don't like it, no. Alrighty. Well, this has been wonderful, and um, I will. All right, I look forward week. to it. Talk to you then. Bye bye. Okay. <laughs> bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, 
The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.